0: My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new here, welcome. Um, And uh, this morning, I really have a great opportunity to introduce a good friend. Danny, why don't you come on up? Um, Danny Parmalee is going to be opening the word for us today. I want to introduce him to you uh, so you have an idea who this guy is. Uh, Oh, do uh, do it. Do it. Yeah, my fancy table. Let's make this happen. So Danny is um, a partner with me in Converge. Converge is one of our our church plant connections. I'm the regional director for church planting for Converge in in Southern Illinois, Missouri. Danny's my boss, so he's the guy that that (laughs) holds my nose to the grindstone. Um, Not really. He is actually a great friend. He's been a great coach to us. Um, He has been a tremendous resource Um, And uh, when he contacted me and said, hey, man, I got a week free and uh, would love to come open the word at Trailhead, I was thrilled uh, to accept the invitation. And, of course, um, let him serve us, right? Isn't it always gracious to allow people to serve? Absolutely. It's like I get the week off and you get to preach. so, Danny planted a church called Epikos. Um, he now works full-time with Converge, helping coordinate and lead the church planting efforts in Convergement Mid-America. Um, this guy has boundless energy and truly has a servant's heart. Um, he is all over the place, being a blessing um, wherever he goes. Uh, he also broke his nose three times in a single year. Once, I thought you should know that. Because you Soccer, did, it, did it to yourself. hockey,
1: and homecoming were the three times in high school. Homecoming. So it's a homecoming dance. That's, that's a sermon illustration you got to stick around a while to are get you, that one out. Were you break so. dancing? Uh, No, I I wasn't. So it was someone else that broke my nose.
0: Oh, 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 all right. Whole new picture in my head.
1: Whole new picture in my head. Got it. Got it. Okay. And if you can combine that with hockey, you see that, you know, the fists are used from time to time. Occasionally. Only when needed. I will stand back. I will stand
0: back. Well, we're really excited to have you here. Let me pray for you, and then um, I'll let you open the word. Father, I thank you for Danny. Thank you for his family. Um, Man, I hope that this weekend is a refreshing Time for them uh, as they get to just spend a lot of time on the road um, and in new spaces. I uh, pray that opening the word would be a true joy to Danny this morning, that he opens his word, Spirit, that you'd be opening his heart um, and in the process open ours. Spirit, I pray that you would be present to allow us to be sensitive to your word, that we would hear what it is we need to hear, that you would open our hearts. Um, that, Lord, we might receive the true gift of change, that we might receive the true gift of repentance, that we might be freed into the joy that you have for us and into the freedom that you have won for us in Christ. Um, bless him, bless us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Danny. All
1: right, well, thank you, Steve, and uh, good morning to all of you and welcome. And if if you are new here, I always say this as I'm guest preaching, if you don't like the sermon, then that's great. Make sure you come back next week. Steve is an excellent uh, Is an excellent uh, preacher. Uh, As he said, uh, my role with Converge is that I uh, oversee our church planting from Michigan down to Nashville, Tennessee. My family and I, we live uh, in Nashville. Uh, my wife and daughters are here uh, with, uh, with me this morning, and one of the things that I get to do with my job is not only working with church planters who haven't planted yet, but also work with churches that are established, and they're looking at, you know, how they can multiply themselves and, and plant churches, and so I get this opportunity to be just kind of all over the place. And one of the unique things is that from time to time, uh, people will ask me, they'll say, what do, what's kind of the reputation of our church? Or what's kind of the reputation of our pastor? Which may sound kind of weird, but it actually is a biblical concept. You see that the Apostle Paul is talking about the reputation of the different churches. And so maybe you're wondering, what do, what do people around, you know, within, especially within the Converge movement, what do they, what do they think of Trailhead Church? Do you, do you want to know that maybe this morning, what people are kind of whispering about you? Um, I'd love to share it because it is positive stuff, so I don't always do this. Uh, But there are two things that kind of um, come out as people talk about uh, Trailhead. And uh, the first thing is is that you are a people of faith. And and I think where that comes from is that uh, when you were a church plant and you needed to decide whether you were going to take this large step of faith of, you know, purchasing this building and see what God would do through it. And it was really a miraculous story, and there were these videos that were made, and Steve was on there, and some of you were on these different videos. And these videos kind of made their way around the Internet. They were played at some of our different conferences. And so because of that, um, you guys are a congregation uh, that has this reputation that you're people of faith, uh, that you're willing to take risks for the Lord, that you are, are, are willing to you know buy buildings and plant churches and go multi, Whatever you need to do to reach people for Christ, uh, you're a people that are, are willing to do that. The second thing is that you have a reputation um, for preaching God's Word. Now, of course, this is really uh, uh, following. It's the reputation of, of your lead pastor, of, of Pastor Steve. And I think that that is just such a wonderful thing. Being a pastor and church planter myself, uh, there can be no greater uh, reputation than that. But I'll also say that when I get invited to churches— that have that reputation. It makes me a little more nervous because I know that you guys have been trained in the Word. So I've got to spend extra time. I even was texting Steve last night. I'm like, man, I'm nervous. I know that you have a people there that know the Word. I can't just be lazy and, uh, you know, kind of um, just kind of throw something together, Saturday night special type of thing. And then to top all of that off, uh, I'm preaching in your series. Uh, So this Sermon this morning is one that is fresh. This is not the traveling road sermon that I've got in my back pocket that I've done 20 times. And uh, being the first service here this morning, uh, you're getting the first, uh, the first uh, run at it. Now here's what I will say about the sermon today, and so this is a little bit of a disclaimer, uh, is that the passage today and the sermon today is PG-13. Okay, so some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, if you have invited your kids to be um, part of uh, this service is just to know that. I will tell you that my nine-year-old daughter is sitting right there, so I believe that everything that I'm saying today is something, even though it is PG-13, as we talk about um, sexual purity and sexual morality, is something that I want her to hear. Because as we sent her off to school, it was uh, even in kindergarten that she started coming home and uh, sharing terms wrongly, wrong definitions of these terms, but they're hearing it on the playground, and so I don't think there's a better place that we are able to uh, communicate uh, actually what the Bible says about these things. But you're your own parent, so if, if when I go into prayer here in a moment, if you want to kind of go, okay, this is the day I'm going to kind of check my kids in because I, you know, I don't know this guy. Uh, and I don't know what he's going to say, then you are not going to offend me uh, whatsoever uh, to be able to do that. But I'm excited, so let's do this. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into God's Word together here this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are a God of justice and holiness and purity. And God, we recognize that we are a people that are so far from that, but you are also a God of grace and forgiveness. And we pray that as we look into your holy word this morning that it would not be information that just goes in one ear and out the other, but instead that your spirit would have its way with us, changing us, convicting us, transforming us, renewing us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to open up to Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to um, break this up into three different sections, and uh, you can follow along. I believe that uh, even the page number is given for you on the screen. It'll also be on the screen, but I'm one, if you do have your, if you have a paper Bible, I'm going to be having you underline some different things because we're going to focus in as we kind of uh, peel this Peel this apart and kind of uh, take a look at it. So, uh, Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to start by just reading the first six verses. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may uh, keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharper, sharp as a two-edged sword, and her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Now, before you put your Bibles down, if you have your own Bibles, or I don't know if you let people write in the other Bibles that are in the seats, um... I think it's a great thing. The next service doesn't have to do it. But uh, verses 3, 4, and 5, to underline that, talking about the lips of the forbidden woman, they drip with honey oil. So you can even maybe put a little box around honey and oil because we're going to look at some um, comparing and contrasting that's going on and then also to underline wormwood and sword and death as well. And if you're one that likes to kind of uh, take notes, and we're going to see here the kind of the progression of the poetry, that this first part is kind of just this representation, this acknowledgement, you can write this down in your notes, is that we are to acknowledge the power and destruction of lust. Okay, so the main kind of thrust of these first six verses to acknowledge the power and the destruction of lust. Of lust. Now you guys, if, you know, if you've been following along, I know that summer's kind of like, okay, you're gone for a couple weeks, maybe back, and you kind of started this series. You actually started this Proverbs series, I believe, all the way back in 2011, then uh, 2015, picked it up, kind of restarted it a couple weeks ago, and, and Pastor Steve started off kind of explaining just some general things, so I'm not going to cover all of that, but one of the things he talked about is who this was directed towards, and a little bit of authorship. A lot of people attribute, especially these early chapters, to Solomon writing these, and many of them he's writing to his his sons. Okay, And and here he says, to to my son. Now part of me has a little bit of trouble believing that Solomon is the one that actually penned that, because if you know anything about Solomon's life, uh, he was um, far, far from, from sexual purity. But, on the other hand, maybe... That's reason to believe that he did write this, because he's saying, man, son, I made so many mistakes, and I want you to learn from my mistakes here. Okay, But it doesn't really matter who the actual author is in this sense, as we are looking at Proverbs, because we know that it is God's word to us, and that this is actually written to us. Now, in the context, and even as I'm talking about this today, I'm going to be using this as how it's directed here to his young son who is married. But I understand that that doesn't describe every single person in this room. We have people that are married. We have people that are unmarried. We have men. We have women. We have some of you. Maybe you were married before and, and now you're divorced. I believe that every every part of what we're looking at here today does have application to every single person. So some of it you'll just need to translate kind of for yourself or translate the application part to understand how is this kind of speaking to me in the area of, you know, sexual purity or as it's uh, describing some of the different uh, things here as he is giving wisdom towards his son. So here's what I want us to look at. A couple things why I had you underline verses three four and five. First of all In verse three it says for the lips of a forbidden woman now This is not a rhetorical question. I want you to actually look in your bibles. Does anybody have a different word than forbidden woman and if so You're welcome to shout it out So we've got adulterous woman. Does anyone have anything else? I know a lot of you are using the same bibles Immoral woman. Okay, that's great. Anyone else? Strange. Okay, what translation is that? ESV? What is that? Footnote. Okay. Um, Okay, so a couple of the other translations. uh, Some are adulterous, harlot, loose, immoral. Um, I like uh, the translation that's given here, forbidden. I actually think that strange woman is probably the closest uh, to the Hebrew, And, and here's why I think that this is important. I know that the first time that I read this passage, I came to Christ, surrendered my life to Christ when I was in college. And so, of course, sexual purity and lust were one of those subjects that, you know, as you're kind of new and new in the faith, you're trying to learn all this stuff. Proverbs 5 was a place that I went to. And I know that the imagery that was given to me as I read some of these other things of the harlot or the immoral or the adulterous woman, it kind of painted this picture in my mind. The short miniskirt and you know all of the the makeup and the jewels and I mean practically a stripper here, but that's actually not what the author is describing here. The strange woman is simply any woman that is not the son's wife, okay? And, and so it's just anyone else, okay? And this is this is going to be important because again sometimes. We're transposing our own cultural understanding of words or even of lust and adultery onto this where we need to see it kind of first of all in the context of how the author is writing this. And so he says that the lips of the forbidden woman or the strange woman, in other words, just any other woman that is not your wife, that her lips drip with honey and that her speech is smoother than oil. And maybe as you've gone through Proverbs, you've um, done some of this. I, I, I studied a lot in Hebrew and Hebrew poetry, and so kind of geek out on a little bit of this stuff, so I'll, I'll kind of give it to you. This is synonymous parallelism. We see this as one of the most common things in Hebrew poetry where you have two lines that are stacked next to each other, and they're really trying to communicate the same thing. It's just saying something twice in a poetic form to kind of drive home the point. Some people, again, they kind of uh, get tripped up on this because they think it means two different things. And here, he's just trying to say that that, that the, the lips and the speech of the adulterous woman are sweet and smooth. In other words, they're good. Now, here's another thing that even in my study of this, now years later, something different, because when I'm thinking of lust, And the wisdom that might be given in the Bible of like, hey, make sure that you don't lust over that woman. What what am I thinking in my mind? That there would all of a sudden be this description of this woman who is scantily clad and maybe even a description of her body parts and like, hey, whatever you do, just don't look over at that woman who looks like this. And then there's this description. But look at the text. That's actually not where it starts. This is talking about the speech now, it is true that it's, it's saying the speech is what is going to draw you in. Her, her lips are literally dripping with honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Don't words, especially as they're considered in the context of relationships and here the context of maybe a man and woman, to be harmless? Right? I mean, to be completely harmless, I mean... You know, you're just at work, and you know it seems nothing. If someone maybe gives you a compliment and says, "Man, you know, your haircut—it just looks you, that looks really good. It just really brings out your eyes." Or how about—and this goes either way, man to woman, woman to man—your leadership skills. Wow, you just have a—you just have a knack. You got a knack with leadership. People follow you. Harmless, right? But that's not the wisdom that is given here. It says, the lips drip with honey, and the speech is smoother than oil. But notice here that again, that this is just the beginning, it's just where things start. Because then we have antithetical parallelism for our four and five. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and, and sharp as a two-edged sword. In other words, it seems sweet. It seems good. It seems appealing. And it may even be, for a moment, sweet and smooth and appealing. But you need to know where it ends. It's actually not. It's not sweet. It's bitter. It's not smooth. It's sharp. And where it will lead is death. Notice the poetry here, because the poetry here is using this idea of path. Okay, we're going to see it as we continue to go through. It says, her steps follow the path. So it may seem to start with something that is just so innocent. It's really not that big of a deal. It's just a few words, maybe a little flirtatious text, maybe a little email, maybe a compliment. Maybe it grows into spending a little more time together over a lunch break, or finding yourself in the same room as that person, because I'll tell you what—it feels good. It's not—it's not adultery. I just enjoy that person's company. Just enjoy the way that they make me feel when they say some of those things. Well, those are the steps that continue to grow, um, to grow over time. Now, now understand that up to this point in this passage, no physical adultery. Has taken place. And we know that when you're reading your Bible and there's like the headings on it, you know that's that's not actually part of Scripture. But if you look down at yours, do, do any of yours say adultery on there? Yeah, they say adultery. No adultery's taken place. This is just talking about speech that is happening between this um, married man and this other woman. Um, but notice what we're going to notice, and I love this because so often I hear like, oh, the Old Testament, the New Testament. You know, they don't, they, don't, they don't seem like they're the same thing. And I, I get it. There are parts, if you don't understand how the Old Testament and New Testament kind of work together, it can seem like they're saying two different things. Not so with Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, you see this great congruency and consistency with the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, I like this because Jesus is essentially saying, you guys get it. You know that actually committing physical adultery with someone, you're not supposed to do that. And I would say most people probably in this room, but I would say in the world... You know, now even some people are like, oh, no, that's just just what you do. That's okay. But I'm guessing that at least most of you who have stepped into this room, you know, okay, physical adultery, that's wrong. But here Jesus is, is elevating our understanding just as is the very wisdom that is being given here in the first couple verses of Proverbs 5. Jesus is saying if you, if you look lustfully at a woman, then you're actually committing adultery in your heart. Here's where I want to take a little bit of a time out, okay? Because especially as we start going down this path, see a couple of you with some arms crossed, maybe a little bit of a defensive look uh, on the face, face, is to understand this is I think that in a lot of ways the church has gotten off on the wrong foot when they begin to talk about sexual immorality and sexual purity. And here's what I mean by this. Is that for many years, and has created a lot of damage, when the church talks about sex, they lean and their focus is so heavy on sex being a bad thing. It is dirty. It is evil. It is yucky. You just have to do everything you can to stay away from it. And they forget the important foundation and the starting point, and that is this: is that God created us as sexual beings. Okay, God created us as sexual beings. He he actually designed our bodies to experience extreme pleasure while having sex. He's the one that created our bodies. Uh, to, to experience that, even the way that our physical bodies are, are, are created, uh, the way that He created our emotions, and, and even down to the very way that our, our, our brain functions during sex, where it serves up a chemical cocktail of you know, dopamine and norepinephrine and serotonin and all these chemicals that mix together for us to experience that type of pleasure. But here is the catch is that God created us to experience that in a specific context, in the context of a husband and a wife. And the problem is is that we live in a broken and sinful world. We all do. And so what God created for us as good and for his glory, we begin to veer off the path in small ways and large ways. And we see that this is one of the things that, that Solomon or the author of Proverbs 5 is, is, is giving this instruction and this direction towards saying, God created, this is a good thing. But you need to understand it needs to happen in this context because as soon as you veer off the path and you begin to take these steps in this, this other direction, it's going to lead to a path even if momentarily it is sweet and smooth. It's going to end or end in something bitter, sharp, to the very place of death. And I need to tell you that there is an epidemic happening on on, on proportions that are just so large in this world that has never experienced before. And even within the church, and that epidemic is pornography. Many would say that pornography is the new drug. I want you to think about that for a moment, especially in light of what I just said. Those same brain chemicals that are kind of dished up while a couple is experiencing sex uh, are are the same uh, chemicals that are released when a drug user uses drugs, many of them, okay? And we know what happens with the drug user, right? They start with something You know, maybe it's one of the gateway drugs, it's simple and small, and then over time, maybe the body builds up a little bit of tolerance, and so what do they have to do? They have to use it more, have to use it more often, or they have to use more extreme drugs. And the exact same thing in brain chemistry happens with the use of pornography. And maybe it starts small, maybe it starts simple, maybe it starts with large gaps of time in use. But the same thing happens in our brokenness and in our sinfulness. We go back for more, and more often, and greater levels and, and degrees of it to a place where our actual brain chemistry is changing. Now, here, here's, here's, here's why I'm sharing this, is that you need to understand that this is not just saying, all right, well, it says in the Bible, don't look at pornography or don't look at lust. This is stuff that non-Christian atheistic psychologists and sociologists are saying pornography is destructive. They're not even saying it from a biblical perspective. We know it's true from a biblical perspective. But they're saying it, they're recognizing this uh, in uh, this epidemic of, of pornography that's happening in the world. Now, I want to share just a few statistics. You can get lots of these. Lots of them are online. But I, I want to share these, just a few with you. Uh, this study was from the Barner Group in 2014. You can get uh, more updated ones. Most of them are still fairly close uh, to these numbers. If anything, they're obviously just a little bit worse, and I cross-referenced these with a lot of other studies. Nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. Okay, nine out of ten before the age of 18. Males age 18 to 30 years old, 79% view porn at least once a month. Females age 18 to 30 years old, 76% view porn at least once a month. Okay, 79-76, not that big of a difference. So I know that I'm speaking to a lot of, you know, I, I'm using the context of this passage here of a young man, but understand that this is an epidemic that is male and female. And, and here's the last one. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they watch porn at least once a month. Now, I want to tell you why I shared those statistics. Because it's not just to shock you, and it's not just to point the finger to the outside world saying, oh, there's a lot of dirty, evil, sinful people out there. But it's to recognize, knowing these statistics, that in this room, that this describes some of you. And I shared these statistics, first of all, that you would know you're not alone. Okay, that, that's the first thing. You need to know that you are not alone. Uh, the second thing uh, that, that I want you to know is that, that, there, is, that there is hope. Because I, I know what, what happens when Christians struggle with certain sins. Maybe it's easy to kind of just you know, share those. and But sexual sin, definitely not. Sexual sin is one of those things that within the Christian community... What Christians tend to do is to isolate themselves, say, I cannot let anybody know about this. And so what happens is, is then you live in the secrets, and Satan uses it as a way to keep you in shame. And I'll tell you what, that just keeps you in just the perfect place. Maybe you even consider yourself a second-class Christian, or you maybe even doubt your own relationship with God because you are stuck in this cycle of pornographic lust addiction, but I want to tell you that there is hope. Okay, we're going to talk about it as we continue to go by, but I just, I need you to track with me and not just shut it off and go, man, I'm just feeling the guilt. I'm feeling so shameful, and the the pastor just wanted me to leave here today feeling defeated and feeling like I'm a bad person, and maybe I should just never come back to church again. Completely the opposite, and we're going to get there as we continue to work our way uh, through this, this passage. So this is what I want you to do. That all of that is just, for us, the starting point is to acknowledge the power and the destruction of loss. We, we've just come to this place. In, in the Scripture, we've said, okay, we're, we get it. That there is this strong pull to go outside of what God has created for us, for our good, for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, for His glory, and we just have this temptation and this pull, which by the way, one of the things that was interesting to me is I planted the church, and uh, uh, I had young guys that would would come to me and share their story, kind of spill their guts, and from time to time it would slip out and, and they would say uh, they would say, "Man, it just must be so great being a pastor C- come again what, what what do you what do you mean you know like not having to worry about temptation and lost <laughs> i 'm like Hold on a second here. We don't have any special powers. We're faced with exactly the same temptation. God created us with the same. I don't have Pastor Steve, do you have any? I don't know where if he's still in here. Do you have any special powers? No, we don't have special powers. We're right there. Every single person has that same thing. So we're just acknowledging, saying there is that draw. It seems sweet. It seems smooth. So let's continue to go on and read our passage, picking up now. And now, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. And if you want, you can underline that. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in in the assembled congregation. And so, I already said, you can underline uh, verse 8. Uh, and then also to underline that word discipline in verse 12. We're going to look a little bit at that. And if you want to write down a note for the second section, it's be disciplined with the end in mind. Be disciplined with the end in mind. Uh, I know you're, Proverbs is all about wisdom, right? And wisdom is not just about knowing. Okay, wisdom is not, you know, you might say, oh, this, uh, this professor is, is really wise because they know a whole bunch of information. Well, maybe they are. Uh, but wisdom is actually putting that knowledge into action. Okay, so if we, if the author in the first part was just saying, I want you just to acknowledge that draw, that seduction, that pull to be pulled outside of the context in which God created us, um, here are some practical ways, here's kind of where that wisdom uh, chunk uh, is. And so what I want to do uh, to kind of set up this next section and uh, maybe even just allow you to just breathe a little bit and and hopefully laugh is to show you this video we're going to see if it works we're playing we're going to be streaming it so if the internet doesn't work then I'll just try to explain maybe you've seen it before Uh, but take a look and yes you're welcome to laugh (laughs) I'm going to I'll come back. Ha, 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 ha. (laughs) <laughs> all right we can give those kids a round of applause right That's you and I. I mean, it is so funny. I I mean I think the parts I I like when he was rolling it actually in his nose, like and then you see just the small steps, like, oh oh it accidentally rolled off the table. Let me just like grab it and touch it, and then look my fingers a little bit. Or take just a little piece, because that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't really count. How close, you know, can I can I get to this? And uh, that's, that's, that's really us, and, and yet it's, it's funny to, to watch, and if you uh, want to watch, there's longer ones of that, because this was an actual experiment that was done, and they actually followed these kids uh, through life, and uh, how they fared in life, depending on if they ate the marshmallow uh, or not. So, uh, kind, of a, kind, of a funny, kind of a funny thing. Um, when I was a, a youth pastor, which was only a small time, I, it was an internship, I was still in college. Uh, I was a horrible youth pastor. I probably messed kids up. Um, so I, anybody that works with youth, God bless you. It is a gift from God. You need to know that. I'm thankful uh, for you. Um, but I remember one of the questions that I would often get asked um, by the, the kids was, how far is too far? Okay, What they were wanting to know was like, is it okay for us to hold hands? Um, can we kiss Um, Is it okay to go to second base or third base? Like, how close can we get before it's actually sin? And it's really, obviously, the wrong question to be asking. Because as we even look at the Proverbs here, I love this in verse 8. He says, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment contextually. Okay, you've got this young man, and maybe there were some words that were uttered as they were, you know, um, know, passing each other as they were on the way to the well. You know, like, those are nice sandals. And it's like, wow, thank you for that compliment, you know. Um, I know where she lives, and, you know, I'm kind of taking care of my sheep this day, so maybe I'll just walk by her house. Okay, there's that draw there. Oh, look. Who's outside doing their lawn? Maybe, maybe she needs some help with her lawn. I'll, I'll come a little closer and, and, hey, why don't you come in? I need help fixing my computer. Okay, obviously this is now changing the context. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I actually studied a little bit of computer stuff in college. I mean, I want to be a good gentleman, so I will, I will help fix your computer. Oh, your husband's away. Well, that, you know, and one thing leads to another is it sinful, was it sinful, was it wrong for him to take that walk by her house? Is that sinful? Is there anything sinful about him walking by the house? Not at all. That's not a sinful thing. But wisdom here is saying, don't see how close you can get to the line. You're far worse at, at uh, uh, battling temptation than, than you think. And so it's okay to, to, be, to be drastic and to take drastic measures so that you don't begin to take steps down that path that seems sweet, that seems smooth, but in the end, it's bitter and sharp, and it leads to death. Now remember what Jesus said? He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to everyone uh, that whoever looks uh, at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we already covered that. You know what Jesus said next? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of the members uh, from, from your uh, you lose one of your members, then that your whole body is thrown into hell. Quick question for you. How many take the Bible literally? Raise the hands here. Okay, we got a couple bold people. My daughter, yes. Okay, you get a brownie later. Um, I'll tell you what. I take the Bible literally because this is actually a literary technique. So when we say take the Bible literar- literary literally, literally, Let's understand what we're talking about. This is a literary technique that Jesus is using here, and it's called hyperbole. He is making an exaggeration to make a point. Now, I don't believe that Jesus actually expected that if you lusted, that you would gouge out your eye. Because I'll tell you what, I believe that all Christians would be blind. I really do. I'd be blind. But what Jesus is saying, he's not just saying it to be funny or to say something. He's saying, you have got to take drastic measures. And in this area of lust that will lead to adultery, Jesus is saying the same thing that the authors of Proverbs 5 is. Stay far away from her house. It's not sinful, but you've got to do some drastic measures. You have the total right to, you have the total freedom. There's not a law in there that says you must stay 500 feet away from the opposite sex. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. But the wisdom here is to say, say how far away you can get from sin and lust and temptation. Now, here's, here's where I think that this is just a wonderful, this is a wonderful thing to kind of have a discussion about because uh, we can err into the side of legalism. Okay, and that is not actually what the Bible calls us to in the, uh, uh, here in Proverbs or what Jesus is, is talking about. And I want to explain what legalism is because what the passage described here was discipline. And even though those two can get confused and that there may be even some crossover and there may even be some gray area, there is a difference. So this is, this is just my like, quick definition of legalism is following a rule. To obtain, to obtain the righteous position before God. You're doing something to get God's approval. You're doing something because you think that if you do that, God is going to love you. It's a rule for rule's sake, and oftentimes you're using that rule and you project it on to other people. Jesus taught against legalism all the time. It was the biggest bone that he picked with the Pharisees. They loved setting up all these rules, and they said, you know, if you follow all of these rules, then God loves you. And they were great at kind of making up these rules for other people to follow. A lot of times they would make ways that they didn't have to follow the rules, and that's legalism. Discipline is different. Uh, Discipline is taking an action that leads our heart and life into righteous living because we know that we're already loved and accepted by God. See, the motivation is completely different. In discipline, it's gospel-motivated. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you are already forgiven, you are already declared righteous, in the eyes of God. You can't do things that will make God love you more. You can't do things to make yourself more righteous. That righteousness has already been purchased by the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. So your discipline, everything that you're doing, you're saying, I'm already loved by God. I'm already righteous before God, but because of that, as an outflow, it is driving me to do different things that in this life I'd be changed and transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. Do you see that gospel motivation and discipline? Whereas legalism is saying, I've got to do this, otherwise uh, you know, God's not going to love me. Or if I, if, if I stop doing these different things, then finally God will love me. Again, these things, there's maybe this fine line, but they are drastically different and what this passage calls us to and what we see throughout the New Testament is that discipline and self-control is something that we are called to as believers because we already know that God has lavished his love upon us so much. I remember when I was first in ministry and I met a number of, of uh, uh, full-time ministers that when they were traveling, that they would call ahead to the hotel and have the TV removed from their room. Well you know what I thought about that? I rolled my eyes. I thought, that is, that's, that's fanatical. <laughs> that's a little bit overboard. Now, I don't know each of their motivations, and maybe some of them did it because they heard that someone else did it or whatever. Um, but the more that I have grown in my walk, I've, I've gained more respect because what they were trying to do or what many were attempting to do is they were taking drastic measures out of gospel motivation to be disciplined because maybe in their life, that was an area from their pastor and their current that was was a struggle. And so they chose to take drastic measures. Uh, what what are those drastic measures for you? Again, legalism would be me just saying, all right, from here on out, no internet for anyone, right? Or you, you can't you can't be on Facebook. There's just too many, there's too many temptations, or you have to do this. That's legalism. But instead, what I want to challenge you to do is to consider what are some of those drastic measures? Again, maybe it is in the area of pornography, and so there are some different steps that you'll take, and you'll put software on your computer or create you know, an accountability system. Maybe it's stuff at work, and you're saying, you know what, for whatever reason, I'm, just, I'm attracted to this person, so I am not going to go near the cube, you know, or whatever, literally doing that. And for you, you're taking that drastic measure. I want to offer to you, Uh, just a couple things uh, here as far as drastic measures. The first thing I want to say is that if you're not a believer, okay, that you have not placed your faith in Christ, Uh, and maybe you were invited here uh, today as a guest. I don't know how you got here, but I just want to tell you this. No one knew this is what the sermon was about, so if a guest brought you and you're thinking, I cannot believe they brought me to this today, uh, they're off the hook. They didn't know that this is what the sermon was about, but Maybe you found yourself here today. Maybe you've been visiting for a little while. Maybe it's your first time here. Um, The most drastic thing that you can do, because maybe you've even found yourself in this cycle, and even not being in church, not being in a believer, there's something in your heart that every time that you engage in some sort of sexual immorality, whether it's visual or whether it's actual, that you're going, I just, but I can't, I can't stop. The most drastic thing that you can do is to surrender your life to Christ today. I believe it'll probably be, in that area of your life, your only opportunity for, for hope and for, for victory in, in that area, okay? So I'll, I'll give you an opportunity. I'll walk you through that at the end of this service if you've never done that before. Um, if, if you are a believer, um, here's kind of a little bit of a path that I think is drastic, uh, but that I think that you should consider. And first is confession to God. You've, you've, my guess is you've probably already done that, okay? If you found yourself and you're just like, oh, man— Confessing to God. Maybe you're like, I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm sick of even confessing this. To God God doesn't even want to hear this anymore. Nope, continue the confession. Uh, but here's, here's another drastic one. Confess to others. I began to, to mention this before. There is something powerful when we bring to light what is in the secret and dark places. Okay, there's something powerful about that. Now, I'm not saying that you should just, you know, post it on your Facebook wall. Uh, but maybe there's someone in your, in your small group um, and, and, and confess guy-to-guy guy and girl-to-girl, girl, not the other, you know, not, not the other way. Um, maybe it is uh, confessing to one of the, the pastors or the elders or the staff here and just saying, hey, I, I want to start as a, as, a, as a place of, of confession. Uh, for many people that have come to me and have confessed that and spent some time with them, a lot of them have chosen to get professional counseling. Uh, i don't i don 't have as a pastor again a magic prayer that I say, and you know you're you 're healed of ever having that 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 temptation or that lust and again i don 't know uh, Steve and I are friends but i don't think he has that magic power um, uh, to do that, uh, but maybe it's it 's there a pastor, a small group or or maybe it 's even an old Christian friend that you have that you can begin bin, begin that journey maybe get some uh, professional counseling, and then for you to wrestle through what are some of those other drastic measures and to know that this is a battle that, again, is not accomplished in one day. But for many people, it's a battle that happens over and over and over again. But I absolutely believe that you can have victory in Christ. The worst thing that you can do is to just give up, stay in shame, and just continue the downward cycle. Satan would absolutely love that but we serve a God that is so much bigger than that. Okay, let's look at our last uh, passage here. I'm going to start in verse 15. Um, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a, strain, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Uh, now, you may have underlined a few different things, but I thought to be safe, uh, 18, rejoice in the wife of your youth and be intoxicated always in her love. So you can underline that. And if you want to write down for our last real observation here, uh, the, we start with just acknowledge the power of lust. Then we get into this wisdom. This is what you need to stay away from it. It's kind of like, here's the do not. But I, I love this in Proverbs. It gives you not just here's the do not list, but here's the do list. Okay? And, and the do list is to delight in who God's given you. Again, I understand that some of you are single. Some of you are single by choice and feel that God has called you to a life of sing- singleness. And, and I want to commend you for that. Okay, so understand that Proverbs isn't always talking to every single person. I think you can still take all of the uh, other parts of application. Some of you are single, and so this is something that you can look forward uh, to. And some of you are married. Delight in who God, uh, in who God has given you. Now, if you want to uh, start some really good conversation with your neighbors or non-Christian friends... Uh, you just need to say, uh, you won't believe this. Uh, the pastor's third application point today was that we were supposed to go home and have some good sex with our spouse. Gotta, I guess you've got to be careful of who, but that's kind of the, uh, the application from this point. Now, let me say this. I believe that a marriage is far more than just good sex. But let's be honest about what we just read here. Part of the wisdom that he gave to the son was, you know how I created you? I want you to enjoy that. I want you to enjoy your spouse. Sex is not just a dirty, bad thing for procreation. This is a good thing. And I want you to enjoy it. Again, what are we going to see? Are we going to see the same thing in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. That you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then again come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I know that some of you have that verse memorized, and this verse deserves at least, you know, one or two sermons, so it's dangerous to kind of just share it as kind of a bomb out there, and I know that this can be misused and manipulated in lots of different ways, right? I, I know that probably, you know, spouses have this memories on both sides, like, hey, remember what it says, like, don't deprive each other, like, I'm kind of in the mood, and then the other spouse says, I know, I'm in the prayer mood, right? And it's like, I'm in the other mood. So there's still some working out here, but an overarching thing is is that the Apostle Paul says, guess what? Um, God, God gave sex as, as a gift. It's, it's to be enjoyed, and he even says, don't give Satan a foothold. Don't don't give Satan a foothold. This is for you to enjoy. And again, it goes far beyond just sex. I love the passage, be intoxicated, which I actually just thought about this just now, thinking back to even of those different brain chemicals that are released um, during sex. Be intoxicated with the wife of your youth. And to be, to, to be in love with her. In Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a, what a beautiful picture. This is not just about sex, but falling in love over and over again with your spouse. And, and how do we do that? Well, well for, for us, there's a really clear mandate as husbands in Ephesians 5. Uh, there's times I, I don't want to preach this sermon when my wife is here because I know she's going to be quoting this back later uh, to me. Man, do you love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church? That you give yourself up for her. What an amazing thing. Right? And, and that passage continues to go on and, and says, wives, respect your husband. So you see this mutual love and this mutual respect for one another. And all of that All of that is a picture of Jesus' love that he has for us, the church. And so as we go on here from this day, I know that for some of you this is ripping off some band-aids. There's, you know, maybe a a long road ahead uh, for you, but you need to land at this place where you understand the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, that that is what motivates us to walk in purity and in discipline. And so let's just bow our heads and and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you so much that you are a God that pursues us with your love. And Lord, I do pray right now, if there is anyone in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you, that right now that you would speak to their hearts, that you would even convict them of their sinfulness, and that they would understand that apart from you that they deserve an eternity in hell, but that's not what you desire for them. And that's why you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, that he gave himself up, that they might have relationship with you, that they might have new life. And God, if that describes any of them that right now in their own words, they would say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your life. I believe in your death. I believe in your resurrection. I believe in your, the forgiveness of sins. I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. Make me a new creation. Give me a clean slate that I may experience newness in you. And God, for the rest of us, as believers, may we just walk in um, a gospel discipline where we are just so thankful for what you've done for us in the cross that we would even declare, I want to declare right now for those even struggling with lust or adultery or whatever it is, pornography, that if they are in you, God, that they are righteous and forgiven, and that that would be their motivating factor to taking steps and walking in purity and in discipline. God, you speak to their heart of what their next steps are to honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.